Welcome to the Rebel Educator Podcast, where we work to amplify the voices and ideas of changemakers in education. We talk with students, educators, and thought leaders who are questioning the status quo and resisting tradition in education. If you're local to the San Francisco Bay Area, UP Academy, our progressive elementary school, is now enrolling for fall of 2022. And we'd love to have you watch for the Rebel Educator book launch coming in March of 2022. So welcome Rebel Educators to this episode of the Rebel Educator podcast. Welcome Rebel Educators. We are here today with Big Stu, Scott Stewart, or Professor Stewart, depending on how you know him. He has taught business management, entrepreneurship, and marketing at Chicago State University, DePaul University, Roosevelt University, and Lewis University. He has a strong and vast business school education, and he wants to share all of his knowledge with you. Known as the force behind students' limitless future, Scott empowers students to become CEOs of their own businesses and lives and to create wealth on their own terms. He is a national voice for youth entrepreneurship. He's a former Chicago public schools teacher who recognized the impact of business ownership for youth while growing up on the South Side. Scott launched Genius Lab, a youth-based business and technology program to uncover the inner genius within children while preparing them for life. His educational philosophy is find something you love and learn as much about it as you possibly can. Welcome, Scott. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. What a wonderful introduction. Well, it's all true. So I'd love to hear your journey. Your educational philosophy is to find something you love and learn as much about it as you possibly can. So how did you find what you love? Can you take us through that journey? Yeah, it was trial and error, um, basically. <laughs> My first real love, you know, I wanted to be a DJ. I, I had this affinity towards music. And my my parents were like, absolutely not. You know, you will get you a job. You will go to college and get you a real job. But I never left the idea of being close to music. And so I found other ways. And instead of being the DJ, I started to dig into kind of the business behind the music. And so while I majored in marketing, I minored in music business management. But prior to finishing college, as a youngster, as a teenager, I spent a lot of time understanding and learning about the music business and how that machine operated. I still, to this day, I actually, I own a new music streaming platform for new and emerging artists. So I'm still, to this day, 30 years later, involved with my first passion, which is music. Amazing. I didn't even know that music business management was something you could study. Yeah, absolutely. Get a full, you could get a full degree in it. You can, you can get a degree in it. Absolutely. So you work a lot with entrepreneurship and teaching leaders and teaching students how to become business leaders. So how did you move into that? And how do you believe entrepreneurships can really make an impact in the lives of youth? And so, again, going back to finding your passion, the traditional route of education and becoming an adult 
just may not be for every student, right? I think educators are constantly pushing that narrative. Go to college, go to college, go to college, go to college. And anything, if you didn't go to college, then you must be a failure in life. But we discredit the mechanics, the the plumber, the electrician, right? The carpenter. And we need those folks as well. And so understanding that everybody may not have the desire nor aptitude to go on to college and work in a traditional environment, there has to be something else. And it's entrepreneurship. And 20 years ago, if you said you were an entrepreneur, people really dismissed you as, oh, this is a person who is doesn't know what they want to do with their lives. They're just fumbling around trying to figure it out. And while some of that fumbling around, you do have to do a lot of fumbling as an entrepreneur and you have to do a lot of figuring out as an entrepreneur. But to be a successful entrepreneur is absolutely one of the most difficult challenges to overcome in life. It is very, very hard to take an idea out of your head and turn it into something that people will pay you for. But I also think there is a lot of learning opportunity in that. Like, what if you get young people to think about that process? And it became, for me, a thinking objective. So when I was in school, Tanya, and I, you know, I I did not like it very much. I felt very disconnected in my formative years of education. But it had nothing to do with my lack of intelligence. It just had everything to do with the fact that I didn't feel like my teachers gave two cares about me as a student. And not every teacher. There were a couple of teachers that really stood out. But for the most part, I didn't connect with the educators that were before me. And so I was always thinking about the alternative route for myself. And more importantly, I started to think about, well, how many other young people could benefit from this idea of, you know, I had, I had classmates who were amazing artists. They could draw caricatures. And, you know, we didn't, nobody talked to us about how that guy could have made his own animation series or made his own comic strip or, you know, created his own clothing line with his caricatures on it. That's all entrepreneurial. And so I thought, man, what if there was an opportunity for teachers or students to learn and teach this stuff to young people like, you know what, you don't have to go to college in order to be a successful adult. You can make a living as a DJ. You can make a living drawing cartoon characters. You can make a living making your own clothes. Like you can make a living talking. And so nobody was really pushing that narrative. Not that I saw, and I thought that was just a viable opportunity for for myself. Yeah, you bring up a lot of good points. I think one of them, you know, that we do discredit what we call the vocational careers. But those careers, when you're looking at plumbing or being an electrician or roofing or any of these skilled careers, all of those require so many of the similar skill set of entrepreneurship. In that you're looking at a problem, you've got to figure out how to solve it. You've got to dig into your bag of experience and knowledge and see what you can figure out and how how you can make something work. 
in our school, we call it a scientific mind because we see so many correlations between what happens in science and what happens in entrepreneurship from being able to see a problem, notice that there's a problem, brainstorming ideas and prototypes, coming up with a possible solution, trying it out, right? Doing your market research, trying it out. Is this going to work? Is it not going to work? What needs to change? What pieces work well? And then redoing that cycle and figuring out until you get to a point where you have something that works. But you're right. There's especially right now, so much of the world is shifting from you have to go to college, you have to go to college to looking at even boot camps for coding or looking at entrepreneurship programs or looking at other ways into the workforce. I agree. I agree. I often am reminding my students and I call any student who has ever sat with me from a two hour workshop to a 40 week program. They're one of my students. So any student that's come to me, first of all, they identify you are the first genius, no matter what kind of grades, like forget what kind of grades you get, right? We level set in the genius lab and you're the first genius because your brain is the supercomputer. Your brain is the fastest computer that you'll ever experience. So a lot of that, what you're just describing, we do in our minds all day, every day. We see a scenario and it's if this, then that all day long. Those are conditions. Do I go left or right? And what is the consequence of that decision that I'm going to make? We're processing this so fast. Students don't even realize how fast they're processing information to make decisions and then having to live with the consequences of those decisions. So I'm helping young people understand how their brain even works. And when they understand that, technology becomes less intimidating. Critical thinking becomes less intimidating. But you often will also see just that mind shift in their own minds. And you'll see it in their eyes when they realize that their brain is working at the level that is working. And we don't, we still don't even fully comprehend how the brain is able to, to do what it does. So that's super, super important. And it's also really important you bring up a good point because oftentimes these are students who haven't done well in school. They haven't felt connected to their educators. They haven't gotten good grades. And that leads them to feel like they're not smart. And there's, there's a testimony on your website from a student who talks about that, how he didn't feel smart and came to the Genius Lab and was able to create his first app and said it wasn't even that hard and how much self-confidence that brought. And we don't even, let's, let's, let's flip this on this ear a little bit. The students who always get straight A's rarely gets a B or the A-B students fall into a similar trap of a performance trap. Like they're not even thinking independently. They're constantly searching for the right answer. And our research, I'll, I'll give you some insights, but we're conducting some research right now about the students who are always achieving at the highest level academically and the correlation between their people-pleasing characteristics. They even fall into some areas as they become adults of misleading on information or kind of cheating the systems to some degree. 
because they're focused on always getting it right versus being able to think independently about the best decision, even if it's not a popular decision. And so those students are, we're pushing them along, but you'll see that when you think about Ponzi schemes, when you think about uh, some of the higher level challenges that are taking place in our government and the decisions that judges are making or the decisions that lawmakers are making that are not always in the best interest of the people. And you go back and you track what their grades were or how they performed in school. Those tend to be the top performers in their classes in elementary school, in high school, even in college. And so what's the ramifications of always being a top performer versus the students who you know, like myself, I was a mediocre student, but I have traveled the world. I have talked to world leaders. I have been in prominent places, but I can also talk to people in prison. I can also talk to gang leaders. I can also talk to people that have had other challenges in their lives and help turn those lives around for those people and how they see themselves and perceive themselves. So just because we're talk- always talking about students who don't perform well, there is a population of students who are constantly performing well, but what is the cost of that performance over a lifetime and on society? And so we as educators got to really get around what we're doing and what we're communicating and what we're saying is important to the students that we serve. And here's what I'm offering, Tanya. I'm saying at Genius Lab, what we're trying to do best and I don't, I don't know you, you and I didn't grow up together. We didn't, we didn't go to school together. We've never dated or any of that stuff. Right. But I bet I can get two things right about you and I first thing, and you agree with me or disagree with, if this makes sense, you and I both want to live healthy, happy, and prosperous lives. Is that what you want time? I would say that's true. Okay. All right. This, we, didn't, we didn't practice this. We didn't rehearse this. <laughs> the second thing I think that we both want, if we could have it our way, is we would make as much money as we possibly can. Wouldn't say no, but I also wouldn't say it's second on my list. Maybe not second. I'm just saying it's one of the two <laughs> things. I, I didn't give a priority to these things. I'm just saying these are at least two things that I think that we both want. I'm not saying they're the only two. I'm not saying they're the top two. But I would just, I believe that most of us having a human experience want to be as healthy, happy, and prosperous as we can. Prosperity doesn't always mean finances. It means good relationships, good memories, good times, and abundance, right? But we also want to not have to worry about paying our bills. We want to not have to worry about choosing where we live. We want to you know, be able to eat what we want to eat. We would love to be able to travel when we want to travel without worrying about the lack of money, which means, hey, I'd want to just not to have money problems, right? My, my check engine light comes on. I'd love to immediately be able to pull into the auto repair shop and say, check this out. And whatever they come back with, I'd like to be able to pay without worrying about, oh my goodness, right? Where am I going to get this money? That's what we're trying to prepare students for. And how we do that is by bridging where does business and economics fall in that conversation? What's your understanding of how business and economics works? And how are you going to get a grasp on this, how this technology 
will help you become that adult. So you have to have a good grasp of technology. And a lot of educators in a lot of classrooms don't. They're afraid of the tech. And a lot of educators don't fully understand how business works, especially from an entrepreneurial perspective. But that's where we are in Web 3.0. That's where we are post-pandemic. That's where we are going into this metaverse. That's where we are and where we need to be as educational leaders when it comes to thinking about how we impact, engage, and educate our young people of today. Yeah, I was one of those kids that school was really easy. I got a all A's and the occasional B, and I learned how to play the game very quickly. I could read the teacher. I knew what was going to be likely on the test. I could study those things. And that's, you know, when you talk about politicians being high-performing students, like that's what they do. They've learned to play the game. They've learned to say the thing that people want to hear. Or not say the thing, because that's also important. I got in trouble for saying the things that were on my mind all the time. They were true. <laughs> they were always true. But it was like, I had to learn, like, some stuff, student, you can't say. You got to, you're going to mess up. You're going to miss a lot of opportunities always saying what's on your heart and on your mind. And so... Same, I, I might agree with you on a lot of stuff, Tanya, but where you may understand the politics of it, right? This is not the appropriate time to say this is not how you say I'm a bull in a china shop. I'm coming through. I'm saying it all. Oh, it took me a long time to learn that as well. I got in lots of trouble for speaking my mind, especially as a young woman in business. When I entered the corporate world, women were still very much seen and not heard and sharing outspoken opinions was not always welcomed. Yeah. I mean, that's true too in entrepreneurship. And as I've started a business, you know, we went through a point in time where I had our male board members reaching out, looking for real estate for us, because if I sent him an email, I wouldn't get a reply. If it came from him, he would. Mm. And so there's, there's all sorts of battles that we all face. I mean, we've talked a lot about how it's different than school and entrepreneurship and our students need these skills in economics and in business to move forward. So should it be taught in school? And one of the things that's on your website is that, you know, our interactions at Genius Lab never feel like school. Shouldn't. So should school feel more like Genius Lab? I 100% agree with that. (laughs) Look, I've never heard a kid say I don't like learning. I've been doing this for 20 years. I've never heard a kid say, I don't like to learn. I continue to hear kids say, I I hate school. And so I'm trying to, I'm still unpacking that. We don't want to feel like, and I'm an educator. I'm a, I've taught at post-secondary, taught at secondary, taught the elementary grades. I am a teacher, not by the traditional route. It's a gift that I have. I'm a business guy. I got into teaching. I'm an Illinois State Board of Education certified teacher. I'm a teacher. But I don't want this to feel like school because school has a negative connotation in the minds of many, many school-aged children. What should it feel like? It should feel liberating. It should feel like students are in control. Let me tell you what I know about teachers, and I'm one of them. We love to talk. We can talk from the time students get in the classroom to the time they leave. We as teachers talk way too much. Another thing I know about teachers, we hate to be wrong. And so if a kid corrects us, 
I've seen this happen many, many times. We'll get defensive and that's not right. So what do I suggest? I suggest we spend the first less than two minutes, 60 seconds, 30 seconds, giving the instruction in a problem-based learning environment every day in our classroom. Give the kids a situation with as little instruction as you can, and then spend the rest of the period, the class period, facilitating their problem-solving skills or their solution orientation skills. We have a rule at Genius Lab. It's called the 45-second rule. I want to give this challenge up to all educational leaders and teachers. Even if you're a superintendent and you're leading a PD, I want you to try this 45-second rule. And the 45-second rule is when you ask a question, be silent for up to 45 seconds. No prodding. No, come on. Did you hear me? No, I'm going to call on someone. No explaining the question. Just simply ask the question and be quiet for up to 45 seconds. Now, why do you say 45 seconds? Because I've done this experiment a number of times and it's taken as long as 45 seconds for some student to finally respond. And so what happens? I ask the questions. The silence is deafening. It's so loud. The silence becomes so the teacher's actually not talking. It's like, wait, what are we doing? What's going on? Some students. Some students are saying, what? What did they say? Some students, the the vast majority, a third of the students are really trying to process the answer. But because we as teachers don't give them a chance to process the answer or to hear what was being said, give them a few seconds to say, wait, wait, what, what are we doing? Wait, what was it? Give them that grace because kids have so much on their minds. They have so much going on, so many distractions. Give them the first five seconds and five seconds in a, of silence in a classroom seems like a lifetime to process what is happening, what the question is, what's being said, to find the right words and to have the courage to give an answer to your question because none of the students want to be wrong because we chastise students for being wrong so often. So the 45 second rule simply is ask the question and be silent. You should get an answer within the first 45 seconds. If you don't get an answer by 45 seconds, then restate the question and be silent again. That is how we really increase the engagement and the thinking, the critical thinking in the classroom. And that is what makes Genius Lab not feel like school because that's not how normal classrooms operate. And it's always, Jimmy, sit down, Scott, sit down. Come on, what are you doing over there? I mean, we're just talking, talk. We're tired. The teachers are tired. And we think we're tired because of the kids. We're tired because we're talking too much. It would give us so much energy just to ask a question and just stand there. You would preserve so much energy. And then the student asks, answers the question and you, you know, redirect them or you, you, now you can extend the question. You can ask a second question. And just because the student isn't answering your question doesn't mean they're not thinking. They are, they are, they are, they are. And that's clearly what makes us not feel like school today.
There we have it, Rebel Educators, the 45-second challenge. <laughs> so, Scott, I love to ask all of my guests to share a story from elementary school. Can you share something that you remember that stands out from when you were in elementary school? Yeah, I wish I had a really uplifting, inspiring story, but elementary school was not pleasant to me. I, I'm 66 inches tall. I was probably five, eleven, six feet in middle school. I was, you know, 12 years old wearing a size 13 shoe, super skinny, lanky. And so I endured a lot of bully as a kid. But I was also, as many people have told me, you know, not a not a bad looking guy. Right. I had friends and I was very, very popular. But I was always teased for my large feet and my clumsy walk and being one of the tallest in the building. And I don't like to use the word bullying, but let's just call it what it was. That bullying really gave me character. This is what I remember about middle school, elementary school. I had to make a decision on who I was going to be as a person during that time in my life. Either I was going to, we, we have this phrase, focus or fold. You're either going to focus or fold. Focus on the big picture and persevere through or fold up like a piece of paper in the corner and go off and be miserable for the rest of your life. So I had to focus or fold at middle school and I had to learn this lesson. And I'm so thankful that I had my dad around to help me focus and understand that there was definitely value in who I am. Like God gave me this stature. He gave me my large feet. And so I could stand on this frame because I had purpose in life. And that really gave me the character to continue to move through life and appreciate my purpose in life. I didn't fully understand my purpose in sixth grade, but it planted the seed that I was not bound by the limitations of how other people perceived me. And that was the greatest experience that I had in middle school. And I am partially of that last generation of students who I went to one school from first through eighth grade. I only attended one school. You don't find a lot of that today. And it was school-age children. They were three, four, five schools. But many of my school-age friends from elementary school, we're still friends today. So I didn't hold that bullying. I didn't hold it against them. It's, you know, middle school kids can be terrible. But it gave me a lot of character and it gave me a lot of perspective of life. And that you would think, oh, well, it's a teacher. It's a learning experience that he, he's sharing a story about middle school. But no, it was the socialization, the socialization skills. That was my biggest takeaway from middle school. And I am forever thankful for the ability to develop those social skills well before social media. That's one of the hardest things. I mean, especially, you know, as humans, as adults and as entrepreneurs to let go of 
that judgment of what other people think of you to follow what it is that you truly love and figure that out. So how can listeners get in touch with you? Well, I'm on Instagram. I love Instagram. I'm at Professor Stu, S-T-E-W on Instagram. Of course, they can go to my website, GeniusLabChicago.com. That's GeniusLabChicago.com. And and don't be fooled by the Chicago. We're we're international. So we could be in California. We could be in Seattle. We can be in Paris. We can be in Australia. But GeniusLabChicago.com, you can find me there. And just type in my name, Scott Stewart on the internet, and I'm all over the place. So reach out to me. I'd love to engage with you. Maybe come talk to your teachers, talk to your educational leaders about ways to create more impactful, engaging classroom environments for students. Thank you so much, Scott. It's been wonderful to talk with you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Tyne. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Rebel Educator Podcast. I'd invite you to check out rebeleducator.com where you can see all of our upcoming workshops, webinars, and professional development opportunities. Upacademysf.com where you can see our current progressive elementary school in action. And if you've enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to leave a review and rate our show so that others can find it and love us too. Keep resisting tradition, Rebel Educators. Rebel Educators.